Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee again for providing for us a day that we can come together. And we've had an opportunity already to hear thy word and to reflect upon it. And it is our prayer, Father, that thou would be able to feed us again this afternoon, despite the fact that thou dost use pots of clay, vessels of clay, to proclaim thy truth and to, to teach man. And so we ask, Father, that I would speak, that I would not be hindered in any way, that I would be able to touch the hearts, and that each of us would be attentive to thy word, not only attentive to it, but would, would practice it and put it into action. This we ask in Jesus' name. Help. I'd like to read a few verses from the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I have read through verse The scripture instructs us in this letter to the Ephesians, written by Apostle Paul, that Christians are to arm themselves with an armor that gives them a defensive position, an ability to withstand that attacks that they will experience. And Apostle Paul, living in the time of Rome, and being a Roman citizen himself and being familiar with the Roman ways uses for us an illustration of, of an armor and the different elements of an armor that a warrior who would be engaged in battle would normally wear. The Roman army at the time was probably the most sophisticated army. The you know, the saying is that the Greeks were philosophers and scientists and the Romans were engineers. They applied science. And they had perfected the art of combat and they were very skillful in, in their arrangements, in their, um, the way in which they would uh, form for battle. But it was also very critical that each soldier would be armored in order to withstand any potential attack. And they were at, at, at the forefront of technology in their time. 
And Apostle Paul takes the opportunity, as he has in other portions of the scriptures, to use something physical that we can see and relate to. But he talks in the beginning of this that, finally, my brethren, as he's, he's concluding a long letter that he's written to the Ephesians, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And there are other scriptures that we find in the, in the New Testament, other, from the, from a, other writings from Apostle Paul that clearly tell us that strength, the strength we have is not our own. Uh, we have no strength of ourselves. Um, the scripture makes that very clear to us and that our strength comes entirely from God. If we at any, at any time begin to depend upon ourselves, it doesn't take long where, before we fail. We can test ourselves and, and most of us who have experienced conversion will, will attest that there was a time when we really wanted to do it on our own. Um, not willingly, but we felt that we could be holy. We had a desire to be holy, and we didn't quite understand that holiness and walking free from sin um, did not require our determination and our power, but it required our surrender, our willingness to surrender to God's will, and then his power would work through us. So that's very different than the kind of teaching and thinking that goes on in the world where uh, you have to make that happen for yourself through your perseverance, your strength, your diligence. And all those things are important, but when it comes to actually having power, it's how much we surrender to God and allow his power to work in us that makes us powerful. But if the scripture tells us that we ought to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, how true is that in our own lives, specifically? How powerful are we? How, how much of the Lord's might do we actually exercise in our lives? And last week, um, when we had our discipleship class, the topic was victorious living. And I challenged, I challenged the, the small group that met to, dis- to discuss that topic that the, the default definition or what people tend to think about when they talk about victorious living, they tend to think about victory over sin. And that is a, is a, is a good first step. But I believe that the scripture wants us to think beyond that. The scripture doesn't want us to simply dwell on the uh, first initial elements of our faith, which was to experience the power of God and overcome sin. Once we have experienced that, once we know him and have this intimate relationship with him, God expects us to grow and to become victorious in a very different way. And that victory is that we are, we are going out to battle, that we are on the offensive, that now having God on our side and having the, 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 we becoming the residents of the Holy Spirit gives us a position where we ought to be ready to do the will of God. And so the focus isn't about how do I overcome sin. We've already dealt with that. It's about how do I engage in the battle that God wants me to be engaged in. And many times, Apostle Paul uses the imagery of a soldier that, you know, we, we, we ought not to be entangled in the affairs of this life because they hinder us from filling up, fulfilling our responsibility as a soldier. He talks about that we should endure hardness. In other words, when a soldier is trained, uh, whether whether it was a Roman time or, and they did a lot of marching in order to, to build endurance and resistance and they went through a lot of drills. But we know that in, in today's modern army, the, the elite group in the army go through substantial training in order to, to toughen and to become hardened and to be able to handle hardship. And Apostle Paul draws the same analogy and says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so it's not that you and I are going to go out of our way to find difficult, difficult conditions in our lives or that we look for those situations. That would be presumptuous. 
But God brings those situations in our lives as an opportunity to, to develop uh, a, a, a capability to resist difficult situations. And it's not that we are developing that in our own, by our own strength, is that we learn to develop uh, reliance upon him, and he brings us more difficult situations, harder situations, that we learn to develop endurance and to endure difficult situations rather than collapse, rather than run away, rather than, than feel that we cannot. Because ultimately, God wants us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He does not say here, I want you to be weak in the Lord and, and, and not avail yourself of his might. And the analogy that was given in, in last week's discipleship discussion was that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, which was tremendous power, but for God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and to, to resurrect him and to bring him up to heaven, that same incredible power, the Bible says, is given to us. Is given to us. And so, if we are to look at this scripture from a different perspective, we see that God wants us to go out to the battle rather than to shy back and wait. He wants us to be on the offensive for him rather than cower in fear, in fear that we're going to fail, in fear that, or to be con- continually consumed with, with often failures in our lives. We need to move away and move beyond those situations and recognize that God wants all of us to be warriors. So we, we, we do what, what Satan does not expect. Satan expects that the Christians will cower in fear, and he sees that happening, and so he, he, is, he is glad to see the Christians uh, cower in fear, where we're supposed to be just the opposite. We're supposed to meet him in battle. We're supposed to do the work of God in that battle, in the front line, fully armored, fully dependent on the might of God. And that's a very different perspective. And if the church would have that perspective, um, we would be accomplishing through him many more things. But fear and Fear is, is a common element that we have in this world. Fear of failure. Fear, fear that we cannot do um, what's ahead of us. Feeling overwhelmed by the challenges. And wanting to, to default on the, I cannot do it. I, I, I cannot do it. Recently, I, I, was, uh, I came across... There, there was a, a documentary that was called, um, um, and the name escapes me now, but it doesn't really matter. The point of the documentary was that um, one of the fastest growing causes of death in our society today is suicide. It's competing with heart disease, cancer, and one of the, the, the group the age group, the demographic that is most highly hit by that. And this is a phenomenon in our society today. Never before, but it is today. And it's not just limited to, to Canada. It's, it's, it's prevalent in the Western world. Is suicide among the 18 to 25-year-olds. It, it seems that in that age group today, there is a heightened sense of anxiety. Before in the past, there used to be, and this is particularly true for college and university age students and those that have finished college or just starting the workforce. What, what the research is finding is that in the past, if someone was struggling in university or college, you would say that that was a rare situation, that there would be a few people, and it was normally um, catered or... or um, uh, ascribed to, to that that particular individual was more susceptible to mental illness, if you will. But now today, they realize that it isn't simply just mental illness. That there, there, there is a phenomenon, and they use the word phenomenon because it is an observation 
which does not have necessarily a, if you will, a mechanistic or a scientific basis for it. It is something that we observe and we need to understand. But today, there is a heightened level of anxiety among the young people. In, 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 the, in the facade that's presented among the young people, that they are confident, that they're, that they're enjoying life, there is a, a growing percentage where that is not the case. That whatever is presented to them in their lives, they are finding it difficult to cope. They are losing hope. Hope in life. And they're not seeing themselves as having a chance to overcome their situation. For someone to, to reach a point in their lives where for them there is no other escape but to take their lives and to leave this earth, it's a very, it's a very drastic and extreme position that, that can only drive a person there when they have, in their eyes, exhausted all, their, all their, their resources of strength and support and come to the conclusion that there is no hope. There is no hope. Recently, I had a, I had a, a colleague at work who took their lives. And I was, the person became ill all of a sudden, um, was admitted to a hospital and I was the last person that he spoke to within the company he had left several messages and we corresponded through email and through voicemail and um, it, was, it came completely as a shock in fact when we by chance we came across an obituary in the newspaper somebody within the company, came across an obituary in a newspaper and happened to see a person's name that was the same person. And over the weekend, emails and text messages were flying, and nobody was sure whether this is the same person. And then we, we found out that it was. And the person had hid their anxiety for 35 years. And, had, and we had worked closely with the individual. Some of them had clo worked closely with that person for many decades. I only knew him for about eight to ten years. But it was, it was nothing that I could have perceived in any way. We were, we were in shock when it happened. It was completely out of character. And I felt somewhat... I struggled with it when it happened because I was the last person that, that had communications with him. And under any other circumstance in the last 10 years of my experience at work, I would have dropped everything and gone to visit the person in the hospital. That's what I've done. It's happened before where someone in our, 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 the office is sick, and I would, I would do that. But I didn't do it this time. And the reason why I didn't do it was that I, I was concerned that my visit would add additional stress to the individual, not knowing at all, really, why he was really there. But I got to thinking afterwards, and we had a, 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 a grief counselor come to the company to speak, and, and I listened, and, and you know, it, it's really sad when grief counselors come and have nothing spiritual to say nothing. Their perspective is completely from, from, from a human perspective without this idea of God and eternity. But I thought about this. I thought about the fact that our young people are experiencing, the young people in our society are experiencing so much anxiety. And the Bible tells us here that, that, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And it's not that that anxiety and fear is only limited to those elements in our society that are vulnerable or people that are not Christians. We know that anxiety, that fear, also happens to a Christian. We know that some Christians struggle with, with discouragement, 
where they see the, the situation in front of them and, and they're, they're, they, they cannot see God being able to see them through the situation. And they become discouraged. And if they stay in, a, in that state for long, they can become depressed. The Bible tells us here that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 12 tells us here that as a Christian, and the same is true for a non-Christian, because in the end, Satan, who is the ruler of, of, of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, his aim, his primary aim, is to destroy the Christian and to destroy mankind altogether. That is his, his prime priming and he hoped to do that by by causing eve to sin and by introducing sin into the world he was hoping that the 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 spread of sin like a cancer in in the world of man would ultimately bring the destruction of man so that he could he could um, look at god and say i have destroyed the crown of your creation i have ruined your plans and God and Satan wants all men to have no hope and to destroy themselves. But here the Bible tells us that so we see from verse 12 that ultimately the, the enemy behind what we cannot see is Satan. And the wrestling that we do, the struggle that we face, that brings about these feelings and emotions are, have their origin in a spiritual being. And so we must deal with the battle on a spiritual plane. And it says here in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You cannot do it on your own. There is no power that you and I have intrinsically of ourselves that can withstand the spiritual forces of darkness. And to the world, that may, be, that may sound like a fantasy, that may sound foolish, but the reality is that there is an underlying spiritual force that opposes themselves against God. And if we believe in God, then we must believe in the antithesis of God or that who opposes God, and that is the devil. And we see that in the world. We see that there is evil in the world. And therefore, we can conclude that that evil has an origin. And that origin is Satan. And in order for us to deal with that, we have to put on the armor of God, and God makes that clear to us what that armor is. He says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Now we've often talked about these elements of the armor, and the loin is like a belt that you tie around your waist, and for, for the, the analogy of the Roman armor, uh, the, the belt that, that they used to tie around their, their waist was one of the... Um, uh, structural elements that they used to hang the rest of the armor upon. And so if that belt wasn't fastened properly, if it, if it didn't offer that, that, that uh, secure foundation for the rest of the armor to be hung, there obviously was a, a problem. So it was a central element of the armor. But the scripture doesn't just... While that is true, there's a central element to the armor. The point is, and we can look at... Um, 1 Peter 13, 1 Peter 1, 13, I believe. Apostle Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here he talks about girding up the loins of, of our minds. So when we deal with this belt that is used to first... Um, create a place upon which the rest of the armor is hung or supported, where we talk about girding the loins of our mind, we're talking about central tenets of, of the warfare, and that is truth. That there is, there is central truth that we have to cling to, and that everything else that we build up in order to prepare us for battle lies or rests upon truth. If we don't have truth, if we don't understand the truth, if our mind is not, is not girded, which means that if we don't secure the thoughts of our minds and ground them 
upon truth, we are not going to be able to stand in the evil day. That is the first thing that we have to deal with. And as we talked with, as we dealt with the, the situation at work with our colleague, we realized that it was completely out of character. And we, we learned about what actually happened, which, was a, which was, I'm not going to describe. But in order for an individual to come to that point, that person, and we know that that isn't true, the reality that we see, that we perceive to be, that drives us to extreme acts is a lie, is a fallacy. And we, we need to be grounded on truth in order to counteract those thoughts that come to us, that, that come to us as lies. And that's why truth is the foundation of any battle that we face, is that we have to know the truth. And here he goes on to say that the breastplate of righteousness. Um, in Thessalonians, uh, an, another expression is used here. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. If we look at the scriptures, the breastplate of righteousness, um, so we would, we, 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 uh, put a belt on of truth, we uh, put on this breastplate of righteousness, and we prepare our feet with the gospel of peace. We see these actions, and then we take upon us the shield of faith, and that will not only uh, allow us to, well, it would shield us, but obviously it protects us here from the fiery darts of the wicked. So the, and then we put on the helmet of salvation, so these are all elements of an armor that protect certain parts of what we believe. They are, they, are, they are protecting certain things that we hold to be true. We hold to be true that we are made right in God. So that in itself it counteracts any false teaching or any kind of false thinking that, we would, be, that would be presented to us that would say to us that we really aren't right with God, or that would cause us to be disturbed in our own sense of salvation before God. We learn from the scripture that, that we put on the righteousness of God, not by what we have done, but rather by what we have believed. We believe that he justified us, and then God accounts or, or accrues the, the, the righteousness that is his on us and that is the truth that is the truth so righteousness is not our own and we need to protect that understanding we need to also have the gospel of peace the good news we need to be prepared at all times to deliver that message and to be ready to be ready to be able to distribute that message to communicate that message it is something that we're asked as part of this battle that we face that it's not that we are here to, to take the blows of the enemy, but rather we are to face and go against the enemy to bring forth the news, the good news that there is deliverance from this deception, from the deception of Satan. We need to be prepared at all times. And here it says, and then taking on the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith. Faith is important. If we don't have truth, if we don't believe that our righteousness is based upon what God has done, or more importantly, more specifically, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and our belief in that, if we don't, if we don't base our righteousness on what God did, but we have a misunderstanding, a misconception of where our righteousness comes from, we become susceptible to deception. We can become susceptible to deception and we can easily come to an erroneous understanding of our lives. And faith, faith and the helmet of salvation, understanding where our salvation comes from, knowing that faith is what we need in order to see God. We can't see God with our eyes in a natural way. We need faith in order to 
to see God and believe beyond what we see. All these things are necessary in the battle because in the battle we're going to be confronted with things that don't look like they're in our favor. And if we take the analogy back to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we know that the battle we're going to face is not going to be a pretty one. It's going to be a difficult one. In the class that we had last week on victorious living, we talked about we talked about um, the expectation of what God would have, what we would ex- be expected to experience. In, in our lives. We talked about this in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 6. It says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or a clay, clay vessel, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So again, the focus is that it's God's power working in us, and we are a frail, fragile vessel, very fragile. It doesn't take very long for any of us to be hurt, to be offended, to, e- to, to be easily stressed out, or to, to become anxious. We are human beings, and we see that in the world, that, that these are a consequence of, of, of what we experience in life. But we are different than the rest of mankind in that we have accepted Jesus Christ and that we have this understanding of what truth is. And here it says that we have this treasure. What treasure do we have? Well, verse 6 tells us that we have been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is that treasure. That we are given the light. The light to see. The light to understand the truth the light, that we know the difference. But it's given to us, and we are fragile. And yet the truth is given to us. And it says here that this is what we're going to experience. We're going to be troubled on every side. We are going to be perplexed. We are going to be persecuted. And we are going to be cast down. That is a reality. That is what we're going to face. And that's what we're going to face as a clay vessel. A clay vessel could not handle that. And, and we see that in the world, that when people are troubled, they are distressed. When people are perplexed, when, when things happen in their lives that they can't explain, they ask, How, what does this mean? How can this be? And it says here that when they are perplexed, they can be despair. They can despair by, by the situation that they're in. And that when, when it appears to them that they are persecuted, when the world is not helping them, when the world seems to be against them, that they feel forsaken. And then it says here that when we are thrown down, when we are cast down, when it seems that we are, we are, we are being dealt by the world, uh, difficulties that cause us to, to feel as if we're being um, thrown down into the ground and trampled over, the world feels destroyed. That is the natural consequence. And yet, Apostle Paul says here that we have this light, which is a treasure. We have a light that's been sh- that has shined in our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We know God through knowing Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, we can be troubled on every side, And the word, the expression here, troubled on every side, means to feel pressure. And the word not distressed means we are not crushed by the pressure. So we think about the analogy of a a soldier that endures hardness. As a soldier that endures hardness, we are going to feel pressure, but we're not going to be crushed. Even though we're a clay vessel that's very fragile. And we're going to be perplexed by what God allows to happen. We're going to be perplexed, but we're not going to despair. 
we're not going to despair. And we're going to feel persecuted. And it says here that we're not going to feel forsaken or abandoned. We're not going to feel that God has abandoned us. And one of the things that is so common, one of the things that Satan uses in this world and uses against Christians as well, is the sense of loneliness. It's the sense that we are all alone, that nobody cares, that, 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 that we are forsaken, that we are abandoned, that there is no hope, that there's no help, that there's no one that I can reach out to. We believe that for my colleague at work, had he just reached out to someone, had he just reached out to someone, it may have made the difference. The Bible tells us that when a Christian is persecuted, when he is pressured, when he is perplexed, and when he is cast down, that there's a temptation to feel abandoned as if God isn't there. And I know from my own life that it sometimes feels that way. It feels that God is allowing things to happen in order for us to experience these things to the fullest, to what we can experience today in our spiritual level, in our spiritual maturity. He wants us to, to, to push us to that level of maturity that is Christ, but he does that in small steps. And when we're feeling that, I know for myself that there's a temptation to feel that I, I can't see you, God, that I, am, I, am, I really am perplexed by what's happening and and there is that temptation to feel that God isn't there because because I can't see him and I can't and I I I feel a sense of an absence of blessing and yet God God is always there he's always by our side in the darkest moments he is always there we're going to go through that shadow of the valley of death and and but he is there but we're going to feel as if he is not there and yet the Bible tells us, be very sure that you are not forsaken. You are not forsaken. And you are not destroyed. And so when we go out to battle, verse, tells, verse 10 tells us that always we are going to be bearing about in the body, our body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So while we are encouraged to be strong in the Lord, and this doesn't mean that we walk around with great confidence, because being sober, the Bible says to be sober, means to be calm, to be calm, to be careful. So we are calm and careful, and the word circumspect means to be careful because we have an enemy that wants to destroy us. So... While we are to be strong in the Lord and the powers might, while we are to put on the armor and while we are to go out to battle, ready to face the enemy, at the same time, God wants us to experience hardship like Jesus experienced so that the life of Jesus in his ultimate submission to his Father, that he proved that he could be submissive to his Father and fulfill his will even the death of the cross, we are expected to have that experience in our lives and to, to have always bearing about in our body, meaning that, that our physical experiences are not going to be pleasant because we are to relate to who Jesus was, to his life, in order to learn to be more like him, in order to learn to depend on God and find him faithful, and thereby we are able to fulfill the will of God. The Bible says, we have need of patience, that after we have done the will of God, we may receive the promise. And Jesus' life needs to be made manifest in our body. And so, who in their right mind would want to join and be associated with a, with a group of people that are going to experience this? See, we don't, we don't preach here this gospel that God is going to bless us. He does. But his spiritual blessings have an element of pain and suffering. 
His, his, his spiritual blessings are about how you and I can become less carnal, less physical, and more spiritual. That is the blessing. And today, in this age, the last thing we need is physical blessings. The last thing we need is, is, is uh, the abundance of things. Or that everything goes well because we will soon depart from God. God is giving us hardship because he's going to toughen us. He's going to prepare us for more. He wants us to become elite soldiers, if you will. Elite soldiers capable of tremendous missions for him. But if we frown from that, if we find our life too difficult right now and we cower away and we're not willing to take on the armor to face the battle, and we're not willing to suffer the hardship, we miss out on an incredible blessing. This is God's will for us. This is what Christianity is about. And it is an exciting thing when it happens. I tell you that as I go through my own experiences, just like you do, where I experience perplexity, pressure, being cast down, possibly being persecuted, maybe not unto blood yet, that I want to count it all joy, as the Bible says. But I sit back and I see myself as in an experiment, taking notes, taking notes about how I feel. What are the, what are the, what are the temptations that come in my mind when I'm in the middle of a situation where I feel abandoned or I feel forsaken or I feel almost like I'm crushed. What are the sensations? What does my mind want to default at? And I take those notes and realize I have a choice. I have a choice. I'm in the middle of this experiment, and now I understand exactly how I'm feeling. And I have a choice now. I can walk out of this experiment and and admit defeat, or I can say, no, I am not going to succumb to those thoughts. I am not going to succumb to those thoughts. I see those thoughts, I understand them, but I'm not going to succumb to them. I'm going to make a choice to put on the whole armor of God. And the first thing I do is I make sure the loins of my mind are girt, are fastened, and they're secured with truth. And once I have truth, I can reject all those thoughts because I know they're not from God. They're not from God. May the Lord bless us with his word, and may he give us courage to stay in the battle and to learn what we need to learn about ourselves when we're in the battle and to make mental notes about where we default with our thoughts when we're in the battle and then to check those thoughts against the truth of the scripture and be able to declare them as false, and to move away from them. May a brother please select a hymn. Him 102. Him 102, all verses.
Let's bow for a prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we'd like to thank you for this afternoon and hour, Lord, where we could sit and listen and to hear the words of eternal life, that we can um, be able to listen to those words. And we, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to apply them, even as we heard this afternoon, that if we just hear them, it's nothing. But we have to take them with us when we, when we leave this place and when we go out into, this, into the world and uh, to our homes and to our workplaces and to our schools. We have to take this word and we have to apply it to bring forth fruit to your honor and your glory. And help us, Father, to apply it and to bring forth fruit to your honor and your glory. Father, we're thankful for the message, that it was clear and that it was simple and it was empowered in demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful for the brother who brought forth your word, Lord, and for all the brothers who, who, who bring forth your word, who, who are instant in season and out of season, who are good examples to us, Lord, and help us to, to learn from them and to allow ourselves to be taught by them. And so that one day we can stand before your throne, dear Lord, even as we sung this afternoon, how um, we can have the, those white robes and we can be around your throne. And we're thankful, Father, for the gift of salvation, for the gift of eternal life, which is offered for everyone, Lord. There is not one person who will be denied of that opportunity. And it is written in your word. And we're thankful, Father, for that gift. And we just pray that many more would come and give their lives to you and accept you as their Lord and their Savior, as the King of Kings, and that you died for them and that you shed your blood for them, and that they can receive a white garment that will be whiter than snow and that they can stand before your throne and can be spotless. And we just want to thank you, Father, for that grace and for your mercy and for your truth that we can be heirs of heaven and we can walk in this world but and we can be examples and we can be lights to this world and help us to do that and grant us the grace that we, we can do that. Please guide us and lead us in all we say and do. We thank you and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. wanted to clarify a point Stephen made. God does bless his children. And we are blessed daily, even what we cannot see. But as I journey on as a believer and learn more about my Father in heaven through experiences, through proving him to be faithful and true, I realize that the, the best blessings of all is the blessing of fellowship. Because we really are alone in this world as Christians. We are very different than the rest of the world. Or we may share the same workplaces, we may live in similar houses, we may shop in the same stores, uh, we may have families uh, like everyone else. But there's one major dimension, significant dimension that's missing, and that's the spiritual dimension. And that makes the total difference. And as we journey in this world, we are alone. We are alone. And all we really have is each other. And I believe that God wants us to appreciate <coughs> fellow believers, because that's where the greatest blessing comes. It's, it's when we come together, and when we worship together, we need to spend time together in this worship and recognize that it's a special blessing. As the, as the world grows darker, and it is growing darker, and as we become, when it becomes more and more apparent that, that Christians are not going to be the solution to the world's problems, but rather a cause of the world's problems, we're going to find it necessary and precious to have each other. And that's the best blessing that we have, is the fellowship of one another. This concludes our service. Amen.